Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Chapter 22. I'll post again. Harry! Hermione was tugging at his sleeve, staring at her watch. We've got exactly ten minutes to get back down to the hospital wing without anyone seeing us, before Dumbledore locks the door. Okay, said Harry, wrenching his gaze from the sky. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, a good friend of mine, died tragically a couple weeks ago, just in a a really simple accident. He tripped and hit his head. And through just crazy coincidences, I happened to be in St. Paul, Minnesota, when his memorial service was taking place there. I knew him very much in his Boston context, where he's lived for the last 20 years, but he's from Minnesota. And so Although I'll have the opportunity to help plan and attend his memorial here in Boston, it still just felt so serendipitous that I felt as though I had to go to this St. Paul Memorial. And because I'm not from that community, I didn't know anybody there. And I ended up going to the entire memorial without speaking to anyone. There was one chance for me to speak to his wife, but just the way that the memorial worked out, it didn't feel right for me to go up to her. She was surrounded by family. And so I ended up going to the funeral, having a really meaningful experience of mourning my friend and thinking about how much I had loved him and the amazing impact that he had on my life and the life of others and finding great inspiration from his life in a meaningful way. And yet I was really worried when I made the decision to leave without talking to anybody that maybe it didn't matter that I had gone since I went with all of this love in my heart, but nobody was there to receive my love. And I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't believe that there was some way that he knew I was there or that he felt my love even though he had already passed away. And so I left the funeral feeling deeply moved by the opportunity to reflect on his life, but also just feeling a little dissatisfied with the fact that maybe this gesture was meaningless. But in reflecting on this chapter and on what love can be, I still think 
that it was a loving act that I was at this memorial because it gave me the opportunity to reflect on what I think is a life well lived. And it gave me an opportunity to reflect on how much I cared for him and how I can show the people in my life that I care for them. And therefore, the love that he had in his life is still impacting me. And I think that maybe it's possible that by attending this memorial, I was practicing love and therefore engaged in a sacred act, even though nobody was there to receive that love. And I thought about that in the context of this chapter, because how hard it must have been for Sirius to love Harry all of those years and never be able to send him a birthday present until now. And how hard it is for Harry to love Lupin and not be able to change the circumstances in which Lupin has to sort of leave in disgrace from Hogwarts. And of course, it matters in a material way that my friend is not there to receive my love anymore. And of course, it matters that Harry didn't know for all of those years that he had a godfather who loved him and that Lupin is going to lose his job and be financially insecure again. But I still think that Anything that we do that gets us better at loving matters. And even if it can't help in these specific instances, we take those legacies out into the world. Vanessa, first of all, I'm so sorry that your friend passed away. Um, And I'm so glad that you were able to be there. Your story really reminds me of the idea that love is a gift. And I think even though perhaps there was no one who you could embrace and hand it over to the fact that you were in that room and the fact that it was a testament to your relationship that you would choose to be there even when there was no one else who would know you i see as a great act of love thank you for sharing that Vanessa, this feels out of place to move us into our 32nd recap but that is what we're doing and i believe i'm going second (laughs) so it's you first here we go three two one Hermione and Harry get back into the hospital wing and Dumbledore is like, they're in there. Oh, they're here. Ah." And um, and then um, it turns out the Sirius has gotten away and Snape is like, I know that Harry is part of it. And then everybody leaves for the summer and Ron is like, Harry, you should come to the Quidditch World Cup with me. My dad gets tickets. I don't want to brag. But and then they get Pigwidgeon and they get a letter from Sirius being like, I give you permission to go to Hogsmeade next year. And also, I love you. And I'm sorry we can't live together. And then um, Harry threatens Vernon by his like, my grandfather's a murderer. Vanessa, that was impressive. Thank you, Mr. Turkile. Are you ready to bring your game? I forgot some things. Okay, there's one thing that I will elucidate. Oh, I thank you, sir. On your mark, get set, go. So the other thing that's really crucial is that Lupin decides to resign. You know, he's like, tomorrow people will be writing in and then the board of directors will, you know, force me out. So it's better that I go now. And so Harry's really, really sad and he goes to see him and he says, you know, like, I wish you weren't leaving. And then um, Lupin does that, like, kind of bro-y bye without, like, hugs and tears. And then Dumbledore is there and it's like, well, really, you did see your father because, you know, he's in you and Harry's more emotional. And it's just, it's just a lovely ending. And I really like book three. A little bit of um, editorializing there at the end. Just these early books are really good. They are. Yeah, we'll talk about more of that next week. Vanessa, your story was so much about saying goodbye and the experience that you had of feeling maybe a little bit unsure of why you were there if no one else was there to be with you in that act of saying goodbye. And I feel like we get a really important goodbye in this chapter with Harry and Lupin. And I wonder if 
the love that you felt that was maybe one-sided in some way, that might even be true here with Harry and Lupin when they are both there. You know, Lupin does engage beyond his teacher role. He says, you know, I'm going to give you the Marauder's Map because I'm no longer a teacher. So, you know, I can give you this and I can give you back your invisibility cloak. So there's some reciprocity. But I can imagine that from Harry's standpoint, it still feels like he's being abandoned again. And that this goodbye is so unsatisfying. There's not even a hug, you know. The moment of real love that I see in this scene is actually Dumbledore staying in the room with Harry after Lupin leaves. Mm. Lupin says to Dumbledore, I can see myself out. And Dumbledore stays and is like, what are you thinking about, Harry? And I think sometimes all you can do is bear witness to Mm. someone's pain. But, you know, Dumbledore is a busy guy and he could be like, bye, Harry, have a good summer. And instead, he stays in that room with Harry. And I just saw that as a very loving act. Again, this is Dumbledore knowing his limits of like, I can't tell Lupin that he should stay. Snape told all the Slytherins over breakfast that he's a werewolf. The secret is out. But what I can do is love and take care of the kid in front of me who's in pain right now. And I think that That's Dumbledore being loving and compassionate in a difficult moment, even showing up to say goodbye to Lupin, right? To some extent, upon first reading it, you're like, oh, maybe he's here to escort Lupin off the grounds. But Lupin says, I don't need you to do that. And Dumbledore trusts Lupin. And so I think that it's an act of love to let Lupin leave on his own terms. And it's an act of love of Dumbledore's to show up to say goodbye to Lupin. I remember last time we talked about love at the end of Chamber of Secrets, a lot of it was thinking about this idea of self-love or the need to love yourself and then to love the world or of other people. And I think all of these points that you're bringing up are such beautiful examples of love as bearing witness, you just said. I think that's striking because it's selfless, right? Like it's not going to be rewarded. It's not going to mean that someone appreciates what you've done necessarily or is even going to notice But it's the right thing, and it's the thing that love compels you to do. I think that's the most powerful thing about love is that it can make us do things that don't make rational sense but are right nonetheless. I just had the, like, such deep pleasure of watching one of my oldest friends be a new dad. And he's probably my closest friend who I never hug. We high five. Like, he is not a demonstratively loving person. He is a wonderful friend and absolutely shows up in all of the important ways. But he's not like a saccharine sweet guy. And watching him love this three-month-old and like kiss her feet, you know, while he's changing her diaper and making funny noises and dancing with her, all of these things that she absolutely will not remember, has no impact on her brain development, right? And it's just this overpouring love that, like, you don't know what to do with, so you dance with your baby. I love that, overpowered by love. And, like, whether that's towards silliness and playfulness with a kid or to show up and cry with strangers at a funeral or chanting at a football team (laughs) like I don't know but there's something that is bigger than our own rational sense-making experience that we're just compelled to act in a certain way which is it is incredible yeah it's a miracle and like an absolute human mystery that it's amazing absolutely this is what I think is always so interesting when we think about what God might be because I think at least the way I understand religious culture is that in much of what we're doing is we're pointing towards that thing that happens, that moves us to do things in ways that we 
wouldn't imagine ourselves usually doing, right? Making sacrifices for others in ways that we never think ourselves capable. Like, what are we doing with this love thing? Oh, I absolutely agree. And I truly believe that with the best science in the world and with all of the millennia ahead of us, we are never going to crack the code on those things, right? We could have the best brain scans available to us, and we're still not going to be able to explain why we make huge sacrifices for one another and why we love each other so passionately. As terrible as the world can be, a place that I would often see a lot of love was on the New York subway platforms. Mm. There is no reason for people to not be murdering each other on New York subway platforms. They are hot. You are running late. You've had a long day or you're rushing to work. You are crammed into a small space. And yet 99% of the behavior is kind and generous and after you, oh, take my seat. And I just think that that is absolutely moved by love. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So another moment of love that I really saw, obviously Sirius sends Harry this note and this permission slip, and it's so thoughtful. But my favorite part of this is that he says, I got this owl for your friend Ron, and the reason that I got it for him is because it's my fault that he doesn't have a pet anymore. And it is definitely in no way Sirius's fault that Ron doesn't have a pet rat anymore. <laughs> he just feels this complicit responsibility. And it is like such a loving act to replace it with an owl. I think it's so beautiful. And then Ron takes the owl and in like a moment of love for Hermione and Crookshanks and like acknowledging that he was wrong about Crookshanks this whole time, builds a relationship between Pigwidgeon and Crookshanks by having Crookshanks sniff Pigwidgeon and jokingly being like, is it really an owl? And I just think this is like love and trust and generosity, but getting more love and trust and generosity. And I thought you were going to say Sirius sending the permission slip for Hogsmeade. Oh, I mean, yeah, that too. I was like, that is the greatest act of love. It's this like act of liberation for Harry, of empowerment, of validity, right? He's claiming a family status, which isn't necessarily given by Hogwarts. He's claiming that himself. Even though he can't give Harry a home, he's still giving him that parental role. Okay, he's doing two really great loving things in one scene. Go serious. And he's giving more meaning to the broom. 
I mean, according to Maimonides, the greatest form of charity is anonymous charity. But Maimonides also talks about how there are times and places for a lack of anonymity. And I think Sirius laying claim to giving the broom and being like, it was me who gave you the broom. And please consider it, you know, me making up for missing 13 birthdays, I think is another really beautiful thing. He's like, this is how much I love you. I arranged for this. I think that sometimes we resist taking credit for our thoughtfulness because we think it's more noble to do things behind the scenes. But other times it's nice to be like, look at all the effort and thought I put into this so that you can know how much I love you. This is really interesting, Vanessa. Let's dig into this idea of love anonymously and visibly. Because if we're thinking of love as a gift and we're thinking about the power of doing something that is visible, right? People can appreciate the lengths that you went to. That feels really good to like feel loved by this specific person. And yet there's also this validity of the unnamed love or generosity or charity. Like I'm really interested in your experience of going to this memorial service in St. Paul because no one knew you. And I'm curious, did it feel different in some way to go when I guess no one is looking for you or at you? Well, I mean, there's a great irony in the fact that I'm now telling this story to thousands of people. So I'm like getting my credit. (laughs) I hadn't even thought about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was like a really powerful part of me that wanted credit for it. And I think partially for ego reasons and partially so his wife would know that people truly, truly cared about her husband. But the other thing that struck me was that I do think I had a different spiritual experience because nobody was looking at me in any way. I can have a lot of ugly emotions in intense sacred spaces. And I think being totally anonymous just relieved me of all of that. Mm. And they read this beautiful Margaret Mead poem called Remember Me. And I can't ever remember being so moved by a poem And I do think that that had something to do with the fact that I felt totally anonymous and therefore it was a completely non-performative funeral for me. And I I think it would be a lie to say that we're ever moved in public spaces to the point where we aren't thinking about our performance to at least 1%. So I think that by being totally anonymous, it removed that barrier for me. This is making me think so much about how weird it is that the people we love most are often the people we tell least how much they mean to us. I'm just thinking at my wedding, my younger sister shared in a very unexpected speech to me how much easier it was for her to be publicly queer because she had a brother who came out. I was just so surprised. And like sometimes it's at these occasions where we create ritual and we build up to this moment that we're able to say things that we've felt for so long. But to feel some of these most powerful emotions, it's actually hard to do it on your own. Like, there's something that happens when we're together that moves us. Absolutely. If I had read the poem, Remember Me, on my own thinking about my friend, I absolutely would not have cried. But the fact that somebody got up there and read it, it was this community of people. And I knew that everybody in the room was at least in part thinking about him and how beautiful that was. It became this religious experience that it would not have been if I would have been alone. Right. And now I feel like this poem has been imbued with a different meaning. I used to sort of bring to all Margaret Mead quotes and poems like a certain level of skepticism around like her strange legacy. 
But now it's like this poem just is a gesture of how much I loved my friend and that's it. So I feel like in loving one another and in loving one another in community, we can literally change how we see things. I mean, so transformative. Which is why it's so sad that Lupin leaves because like Lupin is Harry's connection to his father, to Sirius, to the world which he comes from and to like good magic, right? Lupin gave him the gift of the Patronus, which is all about love And saves, like, the whole world. Yeah. And on the Patronus, I think it's interesting that we've spent so much time in this book thinking about what are the happy memories that gives Harry the ability to cast his Patronus. And in this moment, when he actually does it, we don't know. Isn't it that it's within him? Isn't the happy memory that he'd done it before and that he was capable? No? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. No, but I like, like your yeah. But you know what? Like, it doesn't feel completely satisfying. Like, yes, it's a memory in the sense. But I think it's more conviction that he's done it before so he knows it's possible. But it's not the fuel of love and of happiness where that Patronus is coming from. I don't know. For me, it's this, like, potentially an allegorical pointing to the love that is beyond our understanding or sort of something that's mysterious that we can never name but we can experience and that's what he's drawing on amen okay okay but we can't talk about lupin leaving without talking about why lupin has to leave you mean snape yes (laughs) quote unquote accidentally letting slip at breakfast this morning that lupin is a werewolf what is that about so i'm gonna defend snape which is uncomfortable for me but I think it is possible that he behaves in this way because he makes a lot of sacrifices for Harry in a gesture of love for Lily. And I think this is an argument for taking credit for our love because the fact that Snape is making all these sacrifices and living a double, triple life out of his love for Lily goes so unappreciated by Harry that Harry is constantly undermining Snape. And I think that that builds to a resentment to the point where he's like, well, you love Professor Lupin. I'm going to take away Professor Lupin from you. And I wonder if Harry knew that Snape was at least in part motivated by love for his mom, what sort of alliance the two of them could form Mm. rather than this animosity between the two of them. And I understand that there are logistical and tactical reasons as to why that can't be. But I think that this is an argument for pronouncing love and taking credit for your sacrifices in certain circumstances, or at least that total anonymity and not getting credit can lead to resentment and therefore to some bad behavior. There's nothing wrong with wanting credit for loving. I have never thought of that before in this context. I think that's a really, really interesting idea because I think there's something inherently noble about the kind of anonymous love and we we give these gifts and we don't want praise for it, right? That seems really good. But here is a case where someone is yearning to be recognized and validated and maybe because they're not getting that is acting out in ways that, you know, are extremely destructive. And we, we see Snape yearning for that, right? He wants the media coverage. He wants the status and the kind of order of Merlin that he might be given for catching Sirius and it's all being taken away from him. And I think that It's just like a marriage, right? Like if resentment builds and builds, it eats away at love. And that's how love crumbles. It's not often with one big moment of betrayal. Like so often it is the slow poison that drips, drips, drips every day. And it's the hard work that isn't 
validated. It's the consistent care and creativity shown at home that isn't praised or acknowledged. I can just see that happening in this relationship in a new way. That's really interesting. And I think that we all want to be enlightened enough that it's like, it doesn't matter. Right, but it does. It totally does. <laughs> and... Like, you just gave me this really beautiful book for my birthday, and I loved reading the book and would have loved reading the book anyway, but it is extra special to me that it's from you and your husband. It really added to the experience. So, sure, it would be, like, super enlightened of you to have been, like, as long as Vanessa knows that someone cares about her on her birthday, but it's also BS. It matters to me that you thought of me on my birthday, right? Like, those things really do matter. Also, imagine a world where, like, every gift is anonymous. That would be so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like, everything would have to be checked for jinxes. Like, just think of the broom. Yes. While it's anonymous, everybody's like, who knows who sent it to you? And maybe they're trying to kill you. Where if it was like, love your godfather. Right. It's like, okay, I'm going flying now. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, let's just give a moment of recognition that there is a time and place for anonymity. Like putting the dollar under the pillow for the tooth fairy creates a sense of magic in the world for your children. Also betrayal when they realize it's all (laughs) fake. Sure. But for a moment, right, like theoretically it can do that. Well, when when it's about preserving someone's dignity, you know, I think sometimes gift giving is used as leverage to demonstrate power or wealth. And if it's, you know, sometimes you hear about these amazing cases of someone who's in real trouble who gets a check for the exact amount that they needed to get out of a sticky situation. Th- those are moments when, you know, an anonymous donor, I think, I think is a really beautiful thing. But but if it's something where it can be of equal exchange, and I'm looking forward to the book that I'm going to read on my birthday. So that's really nice, right? Like you could have bought that book for yourself and I could have bought my present for myself. But like those things become tinged with love, like they radiate something. They become more than just the objects. They are vehicles of love in physical form. I got an anonymous poem in the mail in high school, and I had just gotten into a fight with a friend. And I read the poem as this like really passive aggressive missive about what friendship was supposed to be. And I called my best friend, Kim, character on this podcast, and was like, I think that Christy sent this to me as like a message of the kind of friend I'm supposed to be. And she was like, hi, put that in the mail because I love you and thought an anonymous poem would be a really like just nice gift to get. And I was like, oh, oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) Beware of anonymous gift giving. That's the takeaway for this episode. What a weird takeaway. Casper, this week's spiritual practice is sacred imagination, in which I'm going to ask everybody to either close their eyes or just take a deep breath and get into a space in which you can imagine yourself into the scene. And this is sort of at the beginning of the chapter. I am going to lock you in, they heard him saying. It is five minutes to midnight. Miss Granger, three turns should do it. Good luck. Dumbledore backed out of the room, closed the door, and took out his wand to magically lock it. Panicking, Harry and Hermione ran forward. Dumbledore looked up, and a wide smile appeared under the long silver mustache. Well, he said quietly. We did it, said Harry breathlessly. Sirius has gone on Buckbeak. Dumbledore beamed at them. Well done. I think... He listened intently for any sound within the hospital wing. 
Yes, I think you've gone, too. Get inside. I'll lock you in. Well, Casper, what were you imagining in this moment? Vanessa, the main thing I experienced was confusion. I was trying to see both sets of Harry and Hermione at the same time. And there's this kind of door that's in the middle with Dumbledore. <gasps> Dumbledore. Wait, no, don't laugh Double at me. Door. Yeah, there's like there's some sort of door metaphor in there of he is able to bridge both reality and what's beyond. Oh. I like it. And I mean, the, the confusion I felt was because I was trying to imagine, okay, so where did the original Harry and Hermione go? And, you know, as you've famously said to me, Vanessa, many times, don't think about the time turner too much because it only leads you to, like, unhappiness and dysfunction. <laughs> it leads you to questions of, like, metaphysics, which... Is beyond my pay grade. Ugh. But I think, I guess what I'm getting from this passage is, like, extreme respect for Dumbledore. You know, we keep hearing what an incredible wizard he is. And, you know, I think of myself as a pretty powerful wizard. But I guess Dumbledore is a couple pay grades above me because he can say bye, turn around and say hi to the same people who have just traveled through time and just have, like, a slight smile on his face. The other thing that I just think is so beautiful is how proud of them he is. Must be. He's like, well done, right? He beams at them. And it must be so gratifying to have faith in students and then to, like, watch them succeed. And he's doing that beautiful thing as a teacher where he didn't tell them to use the time turner. He just says, we need more time. Like, Is that beautiful or annoying? Well, I think it's testing to see whether Hermione is up to this challenge. Because if she hadn't taken the bait there... You know, maybe he would have gone back in time and tried to do things. Right. Maybe that would mean that she wasn't smart enough right. to have mastered the time turner in such a way that she would be able to exactly. do it well. That's really interesting. I like that. It made me think of my time working in education where so much of the conversation is about holding students to a high standard and then watching them meet that standard and that we do a disservice to our students when we hold them to low standards and that you have no idea what kids are capable of if you just like give them the opportunity to show you. And in fact, they might make it through those really difficult doors and you might turn around and see something amazing if you just create the opportunity for them to shine. They have to have the tools, they have to have the time turner, and they have to know the rules for it, and they have to have learned. Like, it's not by faith alone that they can accomplish things. But you also need somebody to, like, give you permission to do these things and remind you of the skills that you have. And sometimes you also just need people to remind you of the tools that you have at your disposal. Right. So, yeah, to me this is, like, about beautiful mentorship and... And I love the fact that he does say, well done. You know, we've just been talking about love enacted through recognition. And that's what this moment is about, too. You know, that slight smile, those two words. They know what they've done is good. Yeah. It's like the miracle of, like, a parent watching a kid take a first step. It's like, I'm used to you being stationary. And whoop, there you are. Right. You've moved. Right. And now everything has changed. Yeah. Now I have to baby proof everything. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Colin Holden. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. This is Colin from Madison, Wisconsin. In the episode Mercy, Snape's Grudge, something was said that I've had difficulty getting out of my head, and I just want to call attention to it and hope that it's something that you can reflect on. I forget who at first made the statement about double lives. Of course, double lives are the theme. But someone brought up, and you both mutually agreed, that Dumbledore was living a double life. Something about that broke me the wrong way, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. It has never occurred to me since the information about Dumbledore's sexuality came out, I believe in an interview with J.K. Rowling, that he would be in the closet and would have to live a double life. This hasn't occurred to me, and I have to admit, it saddened me that it had both occurred to and was something that was agreed to, it seemed, by both of you. The world of Harry Potter and the world of of Hogwarts is a made-up world, which we hold in our head, and which we hold in our heads ideally so that we feel better and we feel more comfortable in the world. There's really no information about any teacher's sexuality except perhaps Lupin and Tonks, and we have some hints as far as Snape. Other than that, there is no living grown-up whose sexuality is known. So my hope is that the made-up world which you carry around in your head and which other listeners are carrying around in their head can be one in which everyone is welcome and in which no one needs to live a double life, and which no one, including and especially Dumbledore, needs to live in the closet. Hi, Colin. I am so struck by your voicemail, because I hadn't even considered for Dumbledore to be out. But I think I have a couple of points in response to a really valid argument that you put forward. I think the first one is really a choice about how we engage with this text. I think you're right. For so many of us, Hogwarts is a safe place. It's home. It's where we can go when times are difficult and you want to feel safe and comforted. But I also see Hogwarts as a place where we're challenged and where we are invited to think through difficult problems. And I think, I guess our podcast does a little bit of both, maybe edging towards that second one more than the first. And so... 
the fact that the world that we go to when we read the books isn't perfect, I think is really important. No one needs to argue that this story is one of ease and simplicity and comfort. I mean, people face real challenges and fight real battles and die real deaths. But on the other hand, I think you have pointed out to me maybe a limit in my own imagination about how at ease uh, Hogwarts might be with an out gay headmaster. You know, I think we do learn about Hagrid's sexuality a little bit in terms of his romance with Madame Maxine and, as you mentioned, Lupin and, and Snape. So I think there's enough heterosexual desire and romance that does establish a norm. And I think the fact that we don't meet any other characters who are overtly in a same-sex partnership or multi-partner partnership or something that challenges that homogeneous culture that I think there's a reading which I think is valid of Dumbledore as being in the closet. But I, re- I really appreciate you challenging us on this. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that I hadn't thought about it that way. Casper, now is time for us to offer our blessings to someone in this chapter. Whom would you like to bless? I was so heartbroken by reading the Lupin resignation again. I just find it so hard to disentangle this disappointment from a whole lifetime of feeling exiled or excommunicated from the people he loves. And we're going to see how negatively that impacts his romantic relationships later in the books when he keeps this pattern of self-exile going because it's the way he protects himself. So I, I guess my blessing is for Lupin or anyone else who feels like they've been let down again or that they just want to give up because I think we're going to see with Lupin maybe not even in his lifetime, but in the life of his child that he brings into the world, that there is a new a new hope. So yeah, my blessing is for anyone who needs to be told to just keep going one day at a time. How about you, Vanessa? My blessing is for Molly Weasley. I feel like it's just so hard for Harry to come back to London and have Vernon waiting there for him. And Molly just welcomes him with a hug. And I just remember certain moments. I I had a really hard time at work at one point, and I came into my desk, and my friend had put flowers on my desk. And it was just so nice to come to something that was a small gesture like that and how generous it is of Molly to just welcome Harry like he was one of her own children and her just constant love and devotion to Harry. I just want to offer a blessing to anyone who is – brilliantly loving and really anyone who gives good hugs yeah yeah you've been listening to harry potter and the sacred text leave us a review on itunes or follow us on social media we're on twitter instagram tumblr and facebook and we'd love to hear from you if you have a voicemail send us a blessing to harry potter sacred text at gmail.com next week we will be doing a full book review And we look forward to speaking to you about that then. This week's episode was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkile, and Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. This week's voicemail was from Colin Holden. Our social media volunteer is Harshi Hetigay. Thanks to Rebecca and Charlie Dudley and Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you all next week. This is a moment where Hermione and Snape could really bond when he's like, they didn't disapparate. You can't operate or disapparate inside <laughs> the castle. <laughs> Hermione should be like, didn't 
anybody read Hogwarts <laughs> it's a history? history. <laughs> I feel like this is a missed opportunity of bonding. <laughs>